Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Oh, I think this is Tom's house. Oh, hey, Tom? Tom? Oh, dude, what's up? Dude, we got three weeks. Come on, let's go. No, man, I'm, no, no, I can't. I'm, I'm too busy. I got stuff to do, man. Nah. Tom, aren't you sick of the sickness? Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick of something. Oh, yeah. uh, you know what? I'm going to do this by myself. All right, let's do this. for Tom and Mike. Tom strikes back. Tom strikes back. Yeah, we are just three weeks away from our 5K Rock and Run for Africa. Competitions starting to heat up. I don't know if you saw this. We did a little online poll, friendly poll in the last couple weeks with Pastor Tom and Mike asking, are you Mike or are you Tom? And what was interesting is 55% of people said, you identify with the manly man, my Pastor Mike. And some of you said, I'm on the couch with Tom. Uh, with Tommy Boy there. Very interesting, close call, but wherever you are along the ready-to-run continuum, one thing is for sure, we are going to have a blast uh, on September 6th. That is Labor Day weekend at our Rock and Run for Africa, um, which is really all about coming together to bring clean water to the poorest of the poor on a continent that in many ways is on fire. Um, If you're new and you want to know exactly why are you calling off church, you're saying don't come to church, actually go into the streets, and we're going to do church in the street. Why would we do that? The answer is very simple. It's because we are called to care. Each of us is called or summoned. I don't know if you know that, but that's the meaning of our new series, which the name of it is Kaleo, and that is an ancient Greek word that means called. Kaleo. Can we say this together? Kaleo. There you go. It means called or destined for some divine purpose in life. And it really comes from First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 21, which says this. It says, To this you were kaleoed, or called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. This idea that Christ came down, suffered for us, so that we could have new life in him. And then we're called. He gave us an example, not just like, oh, that's a nice model. No, you're supposed to actually follow in his steps. That's what a disciple does, actually walks in the steps of Jesus. Here's the big idea, guys. The idea is that you were created by God and for God. And until you understand that reality, nothing in your life will make sense. (laughs) Because it'll become all about your own little deal and kind of arranging for your own little comfort. And all the needs of the world are kind of invisible out there. What we're going to do over the next four weeks is really look at four specific ways that we are called or kaleoed together. And today we're going to start very simply. This is not a series about Africa at all. Uh, that just happens to be our context today. But we're going to start today by starting basic line foundation. That is followers of Christ, we are called to care. We're kaleo to care. And I want to talk about what that means, especially in the context of our 5K that is coming up. Um, the best way I can show you what it means to care like Christ is to show you a picture. In fact, we put that in your bulletin. If you want to take out, uh, it looks like an offering envelope here. And inside... We put this little card. It's a blue card. You have a, should have a couple of them. Go ahead. Pull it out. On the back of it is a picture. Everyone got this? Picture of a little girl. She's about four years old, okay? And in many ways, she is quickly becoming the most powerful person in our church. 
Uh, my friend Scott photographed her while walking down a dirt road. This is actually in Ethiopia. And when he photographed her, she was drinking this, this muddy kind of contaminated water, drinking it and vomiting, drinking it and vomiting, walking down the street, throwing up over and over and over again. And no one did anything about it because it's considered normal in Ethiopia. I mean, if my kid, you know, scooped up water, I'd be like, no, don't, t- you know, don't touch it. And, when, and, and, and this is normal, though. From birth, most children in that remote area of Ethiopia are, what's normal to them is stomach cramps, dysentery, vomiting, diarrhea. That, that's just normal. And when I first saw this picture, honestly, of this little girl, I couldn't, like, get it around my head. <laughs> because my little girl, she wants, you know, a glass of water. She turns on the tap and out it comes. Or we get a pole in spring at the store, whatever. But this image of this girl drinking and vomiting, drinking and vomiting over and over again on herself. I couldn't go to bed the first night that I saw this, this photograph. Because I realized that the only difference between her and my daughter is a matter of latitude and longitude, isn't it? I mean, the reality is that God chose us to live in one of the most affluent and resourced spots in the universe. And she wasn't. And you can really have one of two responses to that. You can say, well, then God, why would God allow people to suffer like this? Or you could say, how might God be kaleoing or calling me to be the answer to her prayer? I mean, let's just be honest about this. We all intuitively kind of know that where you live should not determine whether you live, but it does, doesn't it? (laughs) We come away with an awareness of that. And that's when it hit me in the gut, honestly, when I saw that picture of her. When I looked at this picture, I felt, um, I kind of felt revulsion, kind of like, oh, it's hard to look at. I felt like sympathy, like it moved me. I felt anger, like, how could this happen? It ignited this kind of holy outrage, a little dynamite in my heart, what the Bible calls compassion. It's actually a very interesting word that the Bible uses, compassion, and it's not what you might think it means. We use that all the time, like, oh, I feel compassion for her, and we think that just means, like, I got some tears. The word used for compassion, the Greek term for compassion in the Bible, this is the last Greek I'll drop on you today, is the word splagnid zomai. Can we say that together? Yeah, don't even try. <laughs> I was like, some of you are like, well, go for it. No. Splagnid zomai, the reason this is a rich, rich term is because if you look at the original meaning of it in the ancient Greek, it means to have the bowels yearn. And you're like, that's kind of weird. What's that mean? It means that you see something and it hits you so deeply, it hits you in the gut. That's where we get, it's like, oh, it's like a punch to the gut, to have the bowels yearn. In fact, you see something, someone in pain, someone suffering or in deep need, and it actually creates this inward ache, like, ah, oh, deep within you. And it's not just that you're moved, but you are moved to what? You're moved to action. That's splagnid zomei. It's interesting, if you do a word study throughout scripture on that, you'll find that Jesus was a man of deep splagnid zomei. He felt deeply. All throughout the Gospels, he encountered people like this in need all the time. And he didn't just have tears for them, but he had this kind of gut-level reaction to them that when he saw it, he immediately followed it with action of care and goodness and mercy. For instance, in Matthew 14, we're told that when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had splagnizomei on them. And he what? Healed their sick. He felt deeply and then he acted immediately. A few chapters later, Matthew says this. He says, Jesus had splagnizomei on them. He found some blind guys and he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. In other words, Jesus encountered scores of people who were suffering or in need when he walked the earth and it, it moved him. 
splagnizomei in such a way that he couldn't help but get personally involved. In Mark 6, we are told that when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had splagnizomei on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. In other words, as followers of Christ, to this you were called, you were called to care. That's the power of splagnizomei. When faced with situations of deep need or suffering in the world around us, Jesus felt so a yearning in the bowels that it compelled him to act. The application for you and me? The closer we get to Christ, the more we will care for the things that he cares about. And the more we care for the things that he cares about, the closer we get to Christ. There's an amazing little reciprocity there. That's just a wonderful snowball effect. But the opposite is true as well, isn't it? The farther we get from Christ, and some of you are there today, you've drifted, you're far, you don't even... The farther we get from Christ, the less we actually care about the things that he cares about. That's just, that's just natural. There's a natural drift there. And the more we focus on like our little world, our little thing, and, and don't engage with others in need, the farther we actually drift from Christ. And that's not to make anyone feel guilty. Because that's natural. <laughs> that is the most natural thing as fallen people to keep our focus on our own little deal here, right in New Jersey, and somehow forget that I've been kaleoed or called to care. There's a passage in Philippians 2, in fact, where I think this really captures where a lot of people are at today. Uh, the Apostle Paul was talking to his church in Philippi, and he said, truthfully, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely, what, cares about your welfare. He's a very sad statement. He's like, uh, Timothy wakes up thinking about you guys, but everyone else, they don't. What do they care about? All the others care only for who? For themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. And if I'm honest, I have to say truthfully, a lot of times in my life, that's a very real reflection of where I am. <laughs> Most days, I wake up mainly caring about myself and my deal, my little agenda, Tim's world, what's in it for me, how's it going to benefit me? That's just living in a fallen world. And Paul's like, you know what? That church, they have nobody who cares, except some kid named Timothy. All the others care about themselves. Nobody cares for what matters to Jesus. This is the the big E on the I chart, folks. As followers of Jesus, we are called to care, kaleo to care. Now, that kind of begs the question, like, well, all right, well, what do we care about? I mean, there's tons of stuff in the world to care about. There's human suffering and misery. In fact, it's paralyzing at times. But I want to tell you that as a church, if, especially if you're new, you just need to know this. We are personally kaleo called to clean water. That's our deal. That's what, like, makes our bowels yearn in our, as a community. And we didn't, like, pick that out of thin air. From the beginning, it's been kind of a God thing in many ways. Uh, Ten years ago, when we numbered about 25 people, that's when we started calling ourselves liquids. Some of you are like, where did that weirdo name come from? We were actually meeting in a tavern at the time. We weren't, like, hoisting a pint, but we were meeting in a tavern. It was just a nice space for people. And people were like, wait, what is this thing? Is it a church? Is it, like, a Sunday school? What is it? And we're like, no, it's, it's liquid because we, we were like, we want church to be refreshing. It shouldn't be, like, rigid and, like, kind of, you know, we want it to be kind of fluid. And people are like, well... That's good, because I'm not a big fan of organized religion. And we were like, you will fit great here, because we are disorganized religion at Liquid. You're going to love this. And the name stuck. And what we realized is that Jesus actually said, he referred to himself as the living water. And he's like, if you actually repent of your religion and get in a relationship with me, streams of living water, life is going to flow out of you to other people in this broken world. And so we officially named our community Liquid, and we added the tagline, Living water for a thirsty world. You see that all over the place. Who knew? That was 10 years ago. Fast forward nine years to last summer, and our friend Scott Harrison 
visits Liquid to share with us about the global water crisis that's gripping Africa. You don't hear about it in the news, but it is a humanitarian crisis of epic proportions in many ways. I mean, at any given time, half of the world's hospital beds are filled with people who are there because of waterborne disease. Half of the world's hospital beds. Every year, 4 billion cases of diarrhea that kill 2.2 million people. Okay, and you're like, I don't get those numbers. That's the equivalent of 20 jumbo jets crashing every day. Remember the thing last week with kind of the helicopter and the plane over the Hudson and like, oh my gosh, 20 jumbo jets crashing every day. And those statistics are like sobering, but they wash over you. The pictures, the faces, their stories are the things for me that stir up splagnizomai. I mean, this is actually the pond in Ethiopia where she's drinking water from. That's where their water source is. And as those pictures washed over us as a church, something stirred, something snapped. We're like, we've got to do something about this. And that, and that summer, God moved many of you, actually, to get personally involved in sacrifices. We began drilling our own clean water wells in Africa. The love began to literally kind of spill out of us. It was an amazing moment. I knew the Holy Spirit was up to kind of some kind of shake and bake when some, one man here to be, I will not name you, but this is an amazing moment. You guys remember this? Heard about this on Sunday, the water crisis, and on Monday he went to give the down payment for his soft tail Harley Davidson motorcycle. And he went into the Harley Davidson and said, I've got $5,000, I've been saving it up for three years for my soft tail, and... <laughs> and actually said, but I'm, I'm not going to ride in luxury when her whole family could have water. And he gave his $5,000 down payment for his Harley Davidson to build a well for the entire village. That's when we knew the Holy Ghost is up to something. Because <laughs> when a guy gives up his Harley Davidson <laughs> for clean water, you're like, that don't happen in the real world. And it just kind of took off from there. Uh, all told, as a church, we funded over 26 wells for the poorest of the poor. The results were astounding. When Colleen and I visited this past spring, um, and those wells came online, it was like instantaneous. Within like a week, you're talking about disease rates, cut in half. Uh, generations, girls who actually can go to school now because for generations they've just fetched nasty water. And we saw the power of focus splagnizomai. This picture, all of a sudden, literally, turns to this. And we're like, whoa, kingdom of God stuff on earth as it is in heaven. Does that stir you? Every liquid well provides 400 villagers with clean water for 20 years. That's amazing to me. And, and as, a, as a church, why do we do this? We do it for one big reason. Because we're called to care. And we still do. We're in it for the long haul. You may get tired of hearing about this, but I'm guessing that she doesn't. I'm guessing she does not get tired of this. <laughs> I say that because I know I get tired of it <laughs> sometimes. The compassion, I'll talk about that in a minute. In Africa, they actually have a saying. It's not uh, water is important to life. They actually, their saying is water is life. And as a church, we're, we're kaleoed. We're called to clean water. It's foundational to our calling as a church to give a cup of cold water in Christ's name. And I mean, there are lots of wonderful causes out there. You can get involved in, in you know, the fight against AIDS in Africa or malaria or education, whatever. But we feel a very specific kaleo to care about clean water for a thirsty world. So when God kind of prompted us to scribble that living water for a thirsty world 10 years later, who knew that it would be our destiny, our kaleo, our calling? And that's why we're running, because we want the love flow more in 2010. Our goal, honestly, of that 5K is to raise enough money whereby we can buy our own liquid deep water drill rig. That's kind of a, a drill rig you see there. It goes to some of the remote regions. 
And the idea here is that instead of just drilling by hand, because all those were hand dug, we would be able to drill a well a week in 2010. How many wells is that over a year? Think about that, a well a week. I did the math on this. <laughs> this is 52 <laughs> wells, okay? Incredible. Uh, but it, 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 it's, it's harder to do than by hand. It's about $250,000 for, for one of these rigs. It's not cheap, but the difference is this. Instead of it kind of being analog like one well, two wells, three wells, now we're doing 52 across a region, and then 104 the next year, the year after that for the next decade, you get the difference. Over a year's time, it's not just 8,000 people served. It's actually 20,000, and then another 20, and another 20, living water for a thirsty world. If we did that for just five years, we're talking about... 100,000 lives saved of the poorest of the poor in Jesus' name. That, that stirs me. That's, that, that's why we're called to care, splagnans omei, to widen our circle of compassion. And if you're called to follow Christ, you will quickly discover that apathy is not an option. It's an enemy, but it's not an option. Uh, let me ask you this. Some of you, even if you're a casual church attender, you kind of know uh, you kind of know the basic, like, kind of, you know, the golden rule, do unto others, and kind of love your neighbor as yourself. Got it. Without looking in your Bible, love your neighbor as yourself. Is that a suggestion or a command? Uh, okay. See, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus knew it would be very easy for his followers to see the needs of the world around him and say, oh, man, that's hardcore. Somebody's got to do something about that. Someone's got to be called to that and then actually fail to personally engage because someone's going to be kaleo, just not me. And that's why he told the story in Luke 10. In fact, let me invite you. Take your Bible. You got a Bible with you. Turn to page 721. It's a familiar story in Luke 10. We know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, the way it begins is kind of funny because there's this like religious guy. He's an expert in the law and he approaches Jesus and he says, oh, I know the whole thing about love your neighbor, all of that. But I got a question for you. Um, who exactly is my neighbor? Who, who are you talking about? And Jesus said, a man was going down for Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. First thing you learn, by the way, is when you ask Jesus a question, he responds with a story. Get ready. Here we go. He's going to lay it out here. Uh, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Uh, this is interesting because actually Jesus is dipping into reality here because there's, there is a road between Jerusalem to Jericho. It's 17 miles long, and it dipped down to 3,000 feet at one point. So it had all these like valleys in it where thugs could hang out. And Jesus is like, there's actually was a nickname in like the ancient Hebrew. It's called Murder Alley. <laughs> he's like, this guy's walking down Murder Alley, and kind of as he's strolling, these guys just kind of jump him, throttle him, kick him, take his Rolex, stomp him, leave him on the curb half dead. And at this moment in the story, Jesus' audience went, oh, jeez, ah. But then Jesus turns the story, gives it a little twist. He says this. A priest, though, happened to be going down the same road. <laughs> and this collective, oh, thank God, would have come up. Along comes a pastor. Finally, someone who cares about God and will do something. There's literally this kind of like, oh, good, the religious people. Here comes the church guy. And when he saw the man, Jesus said, he passed by on the other side, because he's probably late for church. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side, and people would have been like, what? He didn't, he's a priest, he's a pastor, and he didn't do anything? Now, here's the deal. They actually may have had good reason. 
uh, a Levite was a priest who actually offered like sacrifices in the temple, and he probably was like, well, I can help more people if I get to church and just kind of, I'll pray for you. And he you know, made his way to church. Maybe he was late. And the reality is, there's always an excuse not to get involved, isn't there? Even for religious people. You don't have to be black-hearted. I mean, the priest might have had been a compassionate man, but he was in a rush. Maybe the other guy was like, you know, I think this could be actually a trap. I don't, like, they may jump me next. Or maybe they said, oh, we saw about uh, five miles back, there was a professional uh, doctor, and he can help out better. Here's the deal. When it comes to needs in Africa, I think most people care when they first learn of the crisis. For me, it came on my radar in my generation around the mid-80s. Do you remember this? Like 1984, 1985, when we first saw these pictures of the famine in Ethiopia. All of a sudden, like the media got on board, all these celebrities got involved, and we all sang Feed the World. Do you remember this? Feed the World. And it was all great. We all held hands. It was great. That was 1985. (laughs) In the 25 years since that moment, I think something's happened. They actually have a term for it. They call it compassion fatigue. It literally what happened when you're reminded over and over again of a, a crisis or people in need, and you just get so overwhelmed and oversaturated, you just get tired about it. Because you hear about it so much, people are always soliciting money and donations, you actually grow numb. You, you kind of bulletproof your heart. Instead of actually feeling splagnids are made, this yearning in the bowels, you actually just hit the mute button. <laughs> well, I don't know, since talking about this Africa thing again, whatever. I know, because honest moment, I have to fight against this myself all the time. I mean, compassion fatigue happens because the statistics are numbing. I mean, when I said 20 jumbo jets every day, that's 3,900 children. 3,900 children every day. I can't, like, even get my mind around that. And yet again, did the math, it actually means a child dies every 15 seconds of a waterborne disease. What that means for us is that 88 kids have died since I started talking. Huh? All of Liquid Kids wiped out every day in 20 minutes. I don't, statistics have no soul. (laughs) They have no face. And actually, instead of waking us up, they can sometimes numb us out because the need is overwhelming. I mean, you're like 1.1 billion people without water. What difference am I going to make? And and all of a sudden, we actually do, do nothing because we have like kind of paralysis of analysis, right? The more we learn about the problem, the bigger it seems and the less likely we are to get involved because the options are impersonal, (laughs) I mean, most times it's just kind of like, hey, so you need to give money, and we quickly grow numb to that. I mean, how, how many commercials can you see with Sally Struthers or that woman from Roseanne just kind of like, oh, give now, you know, kind of thing? Those of us with a gift of mercy kind of like have a soft spot, and so like kind of like, oh, we got to do something like it, you know, out of guilt, kind of give, but we rarely know where it goes or what it actually does. So we feel temporarily better, but still at arm's length. That's, that's one of the main reasons we're running this fall. This is a next step of personal involvement because we realized that each of us needs to get involved in a practical way that actually makes us break a sweat, (laughs) make you put a little effort into it, and we actually have to cross the street to get involved, to actually experience splagnizomei. This is one of the ideas. It's not enough just to, like, open your wallet and throw money at a problem. You have to actually open your heart, too, and get involved in a hands-on way. It's also why many of you will be very excited to learn that we are currently whiteboarding plans for some missions trip overseas in 2010 to help with the drill, the drilling, and the well digging. Very exciting. We realize to write the next chapter in the story that God's telling, we got to get our boots on the ground because it's not enough for Pastor Tim to go and see and come back with a report. You must go. You must go. 
So we've got potential missions trips even on the drawing board for next year. We're working on it. Very excited about this. Compassion. Splagnizomei. Only happens when we encounter need face-to-face in life-on-life way. That's what the Samaritan felt when he came upon the guy who got mugged. Jesus says this. Take a look at this. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And at this moment, Jesus' audience would have went like, what? Because the Samaritans were (laughs) half-breeds. These were despised people by anybody who considered themselves religious. This is the last person you ever would expect to cross the street and respond with splagnizomei, but he did. He took pity on him. He took action and got personally involved. That's because true compassion actually acts. That's part of it. It's not just enough to have a yearning. It steps over excuses. It's willing to be inconvenienced. In many ways, it, it's not like you have to like, seek out a need or a cause as much as respond to whatever it is God puts in your path. That, that's how clean water got on our radar as a, ch- as a church. We didn't like, let's pick it out of the stratosphere. What would be cool? It's like God kaleoed us. This Samaritan man was not planning on thinking that day, I'm going to be a humanitarian who will be immortalized for the next 3,000 years. But God put someone in his path. Clean water may not have been on your radar when you walked in today. <laughs> and, and you're like, I, I think I'm actually busy on Labor Day weekend. We're, we, we actually prayed this week that some of you will see this as a divine interruption in your life. An opportunity God is giving you to actually cross the street and make a real-time difference in the lives of people you will never meet this side of heaven. Our goal for Sunday, September 6th is God-sized. Our goal is to have 1,000 runners, walkers, if you're not built for speed like me, strollers, (laughs) motorcycle riders, and rollerbladers participate in the 5K in Morristown and make an incredible dent in a single afternoon. Uh, You're like, where do you get 1,000 people? Our goal is to simply have 600 runners from our Morristown and New Brunswick campuses. Currently, we have about 200 people registered because most of you are in denial about the end of the summer. I know it, especially you teachers. You're like, the dreams are starting. Ah, the kids, you know? This is in three weeks, and our goal is to have 600 people from our church signed up. And here's the deal. Other people who are signed up right now, by the way, this is kind of a funny little statistic, two-thirds of them are women. Guys, what is the deal? Put down the remote, get off the couch with Pastor Tom can do it, you can do it. We signed up as a family. My wife, Colleen, is actually running. I'm going to jog or whatever that is called. Uh, Chase is going to probably ride her bike. They'll probably be on my shoulders. But the idea here is that we gave you these invite cards so you can invite family and friends to run with you. That's why it says run with me here. I actually invited, we invited our family, my dad, cancer survivor. He's actually going to be walking with us and stuff. Colleen invited a couple of her friends from the neighborhood. So Team Lucas, we're going to represent on, uh, on September 6th. The idea here is to invite them. Some of you have already done some, some neat kind of legwork. If you haven't, we gave you these posters to put up like in your YMCA or coffee shop or the running store in your town, whatever, because we want another 200 people who are just community runners. There are people apparently who do this all the time. They run. I don't know who they are. <laughs> Why would you risk injury like that? I just exercise too dangerous. There are people who have signed up because they're just 5K fanatics. And uh, what we're doing is we're running, actually, literally starts outside this hotel. It's the Verizon 5K Classic, so it's an officially certified course. I guess that's a big deal, some, some maniacs. Um, last, 
Last month, it drew about 4,000 people. So we're closing down the streets in Morristown. And that Sunday, the sight of 1,000 people running for clean water will hopefully stir some splagnos of me'i. It's going to be a great day. We've had some cool things happen recently. Vitamin Water approached us. They're actually going to be one of the sponsors of the race. So it's very, very exciting. And if you can't, okay, Vitamin Water. Awesome. Wow. Look at them. Shameless plug for vitamin water, I guess. That's interesting. I'll have to use it as holy water. Uh, if you can't run or you can't walk, we still need you to volunteer to serve. And if you go on our website, you're going to see there are all sorts of teams to get involved with without pulling your quadriceps. Uh, for example, this is kind of cool. Uh, you know, it's like when people run, they have these like bibs on their, on their, on their chest that has like a number on them. We did the rever- and their names usually on top in small print. We did the reverse. Their, their numbers in little print and their first name is in big print. So it says Mike. So we need, what we need, for instance, is a couple hundred people to be the cheering section. And you're going to line the streets and freak everybody out. Because Mike's going to be hauling down there and he's going to be like, whoa. And you're going to have strangers be going, go Mike! Go Mike! You can do it! Go Mike! Go Tara! Go, go! We need a cheering section, okay? So we're be, I'm serious. So we're be people handing out water, fun teams and stuff and everything. And afterwards, it culminates in that concert on the green. The idea behind here is that we want to raise awareness actually in our community and actually be a testimony to, the, to, to our community. So we're going to have fun stuff for kids and food and all that kind of thing. But the idea is we want to represent Jesus well in the public square. Have you ever heard that saying, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? We actually want to embody a, a, a face of Christianity that is rarely seen. That is love without strings. That's a signature of our church. So with three weeks to go, we want to see registrations hopefully triple. Um, it does cost $25 to run. It's capped at 20, uh, 50 I think, a household, because all the registration fees go to clean water. See, Jesus, he highlights for us, if you go back to the text, that true compassion not only acts, but it always costs something. After the Samaritan takes action, take a look at it. Look at verse 35, what happens? Luke 10, 35 says, The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Don't overlook this. Two silver coins in Jesus' day were the equivalent of two days' wages. This guy was willing to give up two days of work to get personally involved. See, being called to care always costs something, and that's the idea behind this run. I mean, our goal is to raise $250,000 and give it all away. So we can do drill a well a week in 2010, the poorest of the poor. But the math is really simple. We want to keep this simple. If we have 1,000 runners and each person raises $250, that's the $250,000. That's our goal. That's what this is about. You get your family and your friends to sponsor you. It's not hard. You know 10 people? You say, hey, I'm doing this run. People kind of know about that kind of thing. And would you sponsor me for $5 for every kilometer? So 25 bucks. Most people are like, yeah, cool. Clean water, awesome. You don't have to be Christian. The interesting thing is most people are just like, what part of your theology doesn't agree with clean water for everyone? See, the goal isn't just to get people inside our church running, but to get people outside involved in the cause too. So you can invite them to run with you, or you can invite them to actually sponsor you. You're like, well, I don't know. How, how do you do that? I'm not good. Like, we've made it as easy as the click of a mouse. Pastor Rich actually deserves much of the credit for this. He's going to be joining the team this fall. But helping people register or donate or volunteer, here's how it works. 
Hey, Rich here. I'm so privileged to be joining the team here at Liquid Church, and I'm personally excited for our event coming up called Rock and Run for Africa. There's two things that we want everybody to know about. The first is that we want you to go to our website today and register to be a participant in Rock and Run for Africa. Now to do that, you simply go to our webpage, liquidchurch.com, and click on the banner that comes up that says Rock and Run for Africa. That'll bring you to a page with a video about the event. From there, you simply click on register here, enter your information, and you'll be registered to go. We'd love for you to invite some people to run with you. Do you have some coworkers at work or maybe some family members? Because our goal is to have a thousand people running in this event. The second thing we want everyone to know about is that we're asking all our participants to raise at least $250 towards a deep water drill rig. And in order to help you raise that money, when you register for the event, we're going to send you a specific web page that you can email, put on Facebook, put on Twitter if you're one of those kind of people, to try to encourage your family and friends to support you, to sponsor you for Rock and Run for Africa. It's gonna be a fun event. We're putting all kinds of work in to make sure that it's a great time that day. But more than that, we're hoping to raise resources and awareness for the water cause. If you have any questions or comments, any ideas that you think that could make this a better event, please email me, rich at liquidchurch.com. Thanks so much. First step, register to run. Do that today. It's why we have laptops and all those computers when you walked in. Second step, invite family and friends to sponsor you. And it's not weird. You'll be shocked. Most people are actually, like, flattered to be invited to, to participate. My wife, Colleen, actually sent that out to one of her friends who is a runner. And she's like, I'd love to run. She goes, I, I do 5K almost every week, so I'd love, to, I'd love to do it. She actually also donated. She invited her husband to get involved, and now she's inviting her friends. So it's going a little bit viral there, okay? So put on your Facebook, send out to your address book, whatever. Uh, last week, Colleen and I, we sent out emails to most of our, our, our family and our, our friends from college to kind of sponsor our family. We kind of have like Team Lucas. And the cool thing is, uh, as Rich said, they, it, if you register, you automatically get your own webpage. So when we uh, put this up there, Team Lucas is now, uh, we are almost over $3,000 uh, towards our personal goal as a family, which is to raise $5,000. And that's because we're really passionate about the cause, okay? We're, it's like a big splat net zomei for us, Okay. But our goal as a church is that every participant would simply raise around $250. If you don't raise any, totally cool. Just come and serve ice pops, totally cool. We are going to have fun with this. In fact, the person, it's not a race like who runs the fastest, but the person who actually raised enough, most mighty clean water is going to get something special. We commissioned an artist in our community, Bob Girardi, who literally is a painter, to paint two acrylic on board portraits, and you can kind of see this here, I'll, I'll hold it up, and we'll be giving this to the team that, run, that actually uh, raises the most money towards the rig. So it's kind of exciting. Uh, Bob is actually going to be there. You'll see another painting that he's done uh, out, out, in the, uh, out in the lobby, and uh, he'll actually be signing limited edition prints of that and stuff, so we're going to actually have a lot of fun. There's a lot more going on than just running, so if you're like, I'm not a runner, join the club, me neither. Uh, but there's, there's a lot happening there. We hope, we're actually praying that like God is going to do something special. That literally something only like he could get the credit for. Like a thousand runners, if, if they average $250 each, that could be the whole rig. But maybe it will be half that, maybe. But we'll be on our way to making an eternal difference. That is totally fine. The response of the Samaritan in Jesus' story shows us that true compassion always costs. And you'll notice it's always worth it because it always changes lives in the end. Look at the last verse here. Jesus ends his story with a question. Again, whenever he does that, watch out. (laughs) 
He says, uh, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, uh, I guess the, uh, the one who had uh, 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 mercy on him. What I love is the expert in the law can't even say the word Samaritan because he was so repulsed that somebody outside of the church could do such a thing, that, that that guy who had mercy. And Jesus told him, go and what? Do likewise. True compassion acts. True compassion costs. And it always, bottom line, changes lives always. Why do we run? We run because we care. We run because we're called. To be called means that God is per- summoning you to something, to be part of something bigger than, our, than yourself. You know, we, we are a Christian church. Many of us call ourselves Christians, and at the center of our faith, we have a, a cross, which is the ultimate symbol of splagnizomei, that God actually looked down from heaven, and he saw actually our suffering, and he didn't pass by on the other side of the street. He said, I'll go. And he decided to act and do something about it. And he crossed heaven to earth to our level, and it cost him his life, everything. What was the result? He saved your life. Go and do likewise. To this we are called. For this you were saved, to bring heaven to earth and follow in Jesus' footsteps. Amen? Apathy is not an option. We're called to care. That is why we run. At least that's why me and my family are running on September 6th, and I hope you will too. Let's pray together. Father, I ask even just in this moment that you would, um, Lord, use your Holy Spirit. Uh, not, Lord, we don't want any of the world's uh, manipulative tactics of guilt and shame um, that would weigh us down. But Father, I pray that you'll bring your freedom, Lord, freedom into people's hearts right now, that they could respond fully just out of love, out of what, Jesus, you have done for us. You gave your son, your one and only son, because you so loved us and had compassion for us. Thank you for raising us to new life. Thank you for calling us out of our little lives, our small stories, into your bigger story of redemption. And we can't wait, Father. I ask right now that you would prepare us for September 6th. Make an incredible dent in the kingdom of darkness, Father. And may you bring your kingdom on earth and make it as it is in heaven, even for a weekend. We ask that in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in his good, good name. And all God's people pray together. Amen.